If you have your Bibles, go to 1 John, 1 John chapter 4. I know there's many, many of you here that we could spend all day honoring. Um, and so if you didn't get honored, just want you to know that we're honored to have you. All those who have come, even in the, the last five years, we're glad you're here. We're here for you. That's why we're here. And uh, so just glad that God is doing great things. Um, I, will, I will say this as you turn to 1 John chapter 4, as we were worshiping, I was remembering a verse that just kind of came to me. I guess the Lord just dropped it to me. And it says, uh, Matthew, it's Matthew 25, 20, 21. And I just kind of wanted to just say this. I felt like it was the word of the Lord for you. And it was, it's Jesus. And hopefully one day what he's going to say to us. And it says, and the master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And I just wanted to encourage this church and just say, if there's anything that I know about this church, is that the people in here have been faithful to the Lord. And in your faithfulness to the Lord, you've been faithful to the city and you've been faithful to this church. And uh, I just want you to know that God's pleased with you. He's incredibly pleased with you. And uh, as a staff, we were incredibly pleased with what God's doing here. And we're excited for the next five years um, that it's going to, go from just faithfulness to incredible fruitfulness to an incredible harvest. And uh, five years from now, we will look at this day and and see what God has done. And so I just want to let you know that you have been incredibly faithful, and I appreciate that. Let's go to 1 John, uh, and we're going to read, and and then I'm going to share just a quick, well, nothing I do is quick, but we're going to try to make it quick. 1 John chapter 4. Are you there? Sam? there. All right, we're going to start in verse 7. It's actually going to be on the screen for those who didn't. I'll read on the screen. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from who? Okay, good. Yes, you're with me. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is what? Okay, good. Let's go to the next one. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world. So that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Don't get freaked out by that word. Propitiation just pretty much means he's a substitute. He paid for it on your behalf. All right. Verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hold your finger there. Now I want you to go to John. We're in 1 John. Now go to the actual gospel of John, chapter 11. John, chapter 11. And I want to read a snippet of a story. And then I'm going to get my preach on. Y'all ready? All right. Okay. John, chapter 11. If you're not there, you can can get there. It says this, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. How many know this story? Know the story of Lazarus? Okay, yeah, very familiar. Okay, but I want to point out something that I don't think we recognize too often. Verse 3, So the sisters sent to him. Let me just say what's going down. So Lazarus is dead, or not dead. He's just ill at this moment. The Bible says that 
Jesus had some very close friends. Of course, we know the disciples. His disciples are extremely close to him. But next to his actual family, the closest other family that he had, they weren't quite his family, but they were his friends, kind of his BFFs, was Lazarus and Mary and Martha. These were the closest. He was extremely close to these people. And so Lazarus is he's dying, and his sisters see it. And they go, we got to do something about this. And they go, hey, guess what? We are very close to someone that I think that can do something about this. And so back in those days, there wasn't Facebook or text or Twitter, uh, maybe Pigeon. I don't know. But they got word to people through actually writing a letter. I know some of those young people don't know exactly what a letter is, like a stamp. You have to put it on there. I understand you. it's a little foreign for you. Um, but they actually would have to send a messenger to go and say, tell him to do this. So that's what they do. So they're writing, they're penning this letter, and I want you to see what it says, and then I'm going to have you underline something. It says, so the sister sent to him saying, it's a real short letter, Lord, he whom you love is ill. If you have a highlighter or a pen or anything, circle that or underline that. Lord, he whom you love is ill. Lord, he whom you love is ill. The title of the message today is Jesus Loves Me. I know, it's, it's deep. Jesus loves me. Look at the person next to you say, Jesus loves you. <laughs> Look at the other person and go, I guess he loves you too. Uh, maybe so, because that wasn't your first choice. All right, let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for... Uh, God, what you're doing right here in Eunice and all of the city around, we thank you that this is a church set on a hill. And as we lift up Jesus today, we thank you that you draw people to yourselves, including us, that you're continually drawing us to you. We thank you for your love, that it is the greatest force in the universe, that it compels us, it draws us. And Lord, we just pray, God, my heart today is that you would be lifted high, and that your Holy Spirit would teach, that your Holy Spirit would move, your Holy Spirit would change hearts, your Holy Spirit would heal. God, we thank you for what you're doing in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Um, I am, I'm glad to be here with my lovely wife. This is Lindsay, for those who don't know, that may be new. Uh, yes, come on. Uh, we, ch- we champion lovely wives. Uh, she has been a pillar of strength to me going on nine years. Uh, well, going on 10 years. We're nine years right now. Uh, and so uh, we have three boys, seven, four, and two. Pray for her, not for me. Um, and so just got our second one off to school. So we got two in school. And every mom says amen to that. Um, so only one at home. And, and so, you know, we're very uh, always looking for ways to grow in our marriage, to grow in our relationship with the Lord. And there was years back of this book that came out that talked about if there's, you know, men, we speak a different language sometimes and all the time. Okay. And women speak something, some kind of language all the time as well. And so there's this book that came out that said, you know what, if you really want to love your wife and you really want your wife to love you and y'all want to l- learn how to do this better, then there's actually this thing called the five love languages. How many of you have heard of this book before? And they said, man, if you were to read this book, it's going to revolutionize your marriage. You're going to learn how to love and your wife's going to learn how to love you. I mean, it's going to be an incredible book. It'll change your book. People kept telling me about it. So I didn't read it. Um, but I heard it was good. 
So I read about leadership. Um, and so, anyways, I haven't read this book, but I know the premise of this book because I've had a bunch of people tell me is that there's pretty much in all of us there's five love languages. Okay, there's the love. Here, I'm going to list them all out. There's there's touch. Acts of service, words of affirmation, gifts, and quality time. And they say in this book that a lot of us have a kind of a top three. A top three out of these that that when you express love to people around you, that there there is a way that you express it, usually within these top five. And so it, it may be, like for my wife, her top three is going to be words of affirmation, which means you you like to encourage people, um, you like people to tell you how you look, you, you like the words, you like people verbally expressing to you how they feel about you. That's a way that you feel and receive love, and a lot of times that's the way that you, you give love. So her top one would definitely be words of affirmation, and then acts of service, you know, I come home and do the dishes or bathe the, come on. Bathe the boys, you know, just do some type of active service for her. Um, and then the last one, her third one would definitely be gifts. Um, and so coming home with some surprises, taking her out, doing things like that, that would be a gift. For me, it's uh, acts of service. I love when people do stuff for me, like cut my grass, just throwing it out there. Or I'll give you a list. Um, cut my grass. No, I'm joking. Uh, but I, I receive love by people doing things for me because I like to do that for people. Uh, so it would be acts of service, touch, and touch me again. Um, that would probably be my three. That's usually, isn't that right, Bob? Acts of service, touch, and touch me again. Um, that's how you do it. And so uh, what we learn in this book is that you dispense the type of love that you want to receive. So if you're one that, you know, for me, if it's touch, then the way that I, I receive love from her is when she's touching me. So what I like to do is I'll touch her because that's what I want in return. Are y'all with me on this? If you just walked into this message, I'm sorry. Um, and so if it's words of affirmation, then if she wants me to constantly say, hey, you're beautiful, I love you, if she wants that, then usually what's going to happen is she's going to be doing that to me all the time. Babe, you're great, do it, you're doing a great job, and that's what she does. She gives those words to me. And so how many husbands have ever come home uh, from a long day of work, and you walk in, and as a, as a, as a father of three children that are all under the age of 10, um, life can be hard. And my wife is a stay-at-home Mom, she stays at home and, and does all the things for the kids and keeps our house great and just does an incredible job. And, but how many husbands ever came home and you just walked in and the air was thick? You know what I'm talking about? Like just thick. Like you just walked in and like nobody said anything. And you just walked in and you just, you just kind of knew. Like your hair kind of raised up on the back of your head. And you're like, oh, no. And so, you know, you lovingly come in. Hey, babe, how you doing? And she's like. And as every loving husband does, you kind of press in, like, what's going on? Oh, uh, it's all right. Is everything okay? Oh, it's okay. Now, when you know that your wife says, oh, it's okay. What that means, let me help you guys. What that means is, it's not okay. And she hasn't figured out how to put the words together to tell you what she's about to. And so, as every good loving husband does, I press in more. Babe, what's wrong? What's going on? You really want to know? 
at that point, you're like, hey, Josiah, what are you doing? You know, <laughs> let's go. Hey, boys, y'all want to go ride bikes? All right, let's. But of course, there's been many times where I've pressed in and pressed in. Come on, husbands, we know how to do it. We press in. Really, really, what's going on? What's, what's, why are you in a bad mood? What's happening? And so here it comes. You work too much. I don't feel like I never spent any time with you. Well, we went on a date like in July. I thought that was, I, I just, you're always, you know, you're home, but you're not home. And you, this isn't a live scenario, you know, this isn't real. I'm just, just giving hypothetical. Um, you know what I'm talking about. And, and so, and so it begins to go and unfold it. Well, it's not this. And then, oh, I, I, I don't feel like you ever tell me you love me. And I don't feel like you ever, well, I, I, when we got married, I said, I love you. And I, I, th- I thought I told you I loved you a while back. I, it's never changed. I mean, I'm here. I haven't left. I'm trying to do all the, okay. And so what she's telling me, though, what she's communicating to me is that she does not feel loved. Y'all with me on this? She doesn't feel love. Maybe, and there may be pressure going on. There's kids are crazy. One kid's sick, and this one's disobedient. This has just been a crazy. It could be all that. But what she's saying is she just does not feel loved at the moment. There's no love that's coming from me. And I have many times, you know, there's just these words that you should just never say. Words like always and never and fat and never put always and fat together. You can put never fat together. You can put those, but don't say, okay. And there's just times where I've just, you just have blurted things out. And I know at times I have said, why can't you just have a different love language? Why can't you just be okay with? And in those moments, you're like, as the word is coming out, you're like, no. And then it hits her ears, and she's like, no, you did not. (laughs) And then you just sit, and you just take it like a man. For us, we express love differently. We receive love differently. And in our culture today, a lot of times you're going to hear that in order to love other people well, you have to first what? Anybody want to finish it? You have to what? Love yourself. So in marriage, this is what kind of the world culture will tell you, that if you want to have a good marriage, you want to learn how to love your wife really well, then you need to love yourself really well. And that if you want your wife to love you really well, then your wife needs to just learn to really love herself really well. When she loves herself really well, she'll love you really well. Well, unfortunately, when you read Scripture, that is the opposite of what the Scripture says. It's the opposite. And I want to show you this. So go to 1 John. And I'm going to just give you three points because that's what pastors do. So I want to just give you three points, but I want to run through them. And I, and I really feel like uh, this is going to really free up some people for you. First is this. First point is this. God is love. If you're taking notes, if you do that, I just want you to know God is love. So let's go back to 1 John 4. And I want, I want to disprove this idea that you've got to love yourself first in order to love other people. That is not the case at all. 1 John 4, 7 says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love 
does not know God because, finish that off with me, three words, because what? God is love. Now, why does it not say that love is God? It says God is love. Because this is the idea that I want you to understand. What 1 John is speaking of is not something that God does. It's something that God is. Love is not something that God does. God doesn't just love you. God doesn't just love people. God is love. The essence of who God is, is love. You read also in scripture that God is holy, that God is just, that God is, y'all know what I'm talking about? These are the characteristic traits of who God is. It's not an expression of just what he does. He does love you, but it is ultimately who Christ is, who God is, that God is love. Now, I want you to understand why this is so significant, because if God is love, and God loves you, then whatever comes into your life, was it out of love or hate? We got one response on that. We'll try it again. Anything that comes into your life, no matter how good or how bad it is, is it out of love or hate? Love. That's exactly right. So listen, no matter what goes on in your life, we have to start at the root foundation that God is Love. You would be surprised at how many people we talk to as pastors that feel like God just doesn't love me. I, I, I don't know why God's doing this to me. I, I, and then they, they start recounting things and sins in their life that has caused God to do this to them because they have these things going on in their life. Man, God just must hate me right now. So what they do is they hide in shame Isn't that what Adam and Eve did? They hide in shame, they hide in guilt, and they don't realize that everything that goes on in our life, there's a lot of things that we do. We do sin, we do do those things, but ultimately we have to come to the understanding that God is love. And I I just want to show you how important that is because we just, our senior pastor, Pastor Bubba, just went through his second round of battling cancer the second time. Now, if he is not firmly grounded on the fact that God is love, then when maybe the first time, like, okay, second time, you're thinking through, is there something that I've did? Is God mad at me? Is there, are you understanding? So anything that we go through, lose a job, lose a family member, something happens, and we start, that is what the enemy does. He comes in and he sneakily goes after the foundation that God must not love you. And that's what he goes after first. And then everything else flourishes out of that. So God is love. Second thing within this idea of that God is love is that the most loving things oftentimes are not the most pleasant things. Who's a parent? Okay? All right, if you are a parent in here, how many know that the most loving thing you can do for your children is not the most pleasant thing you want to do? A lot of times it is the hardest thing to do, the most draining thing to do. um, You're like, oh, God. Literally, I just, I don't want to spank him any more than I have to. But discipline is a form of love. The Bible says that whom the Lord loves, he what? 
He chastens. He disciplines. So the fact that I love my boys is the fact that I sit them down and go, you cannot do this. There is consequences to this. You cannot. And God does that to us. He prunes the trees. He prunes it because he loves it. He wants to see it flourish. He wants to see it fruit. We are a vine. Or we are the branches. He is the vine. So he goes in and he prunes branches. He comes in our lives and he does things where he prunes things. But it's ultimately from the foundation because God is love. A lot of times people receive correction as rejection, but it's not the case. Correction is love. Proverbs 12.1, he who doesn't see correction is stupid. Go read that one for yourself. Nobody memorizes that one. <laughs> He who doesn't receive correction is stupid, is a fool. Because a lot of times we think that when someone's correcting us, like, don't, just don't do that. I'm telling you, for your marriage's sake, don't. We think that they're rejecting us, but they're not. They're drawing us actually in, and they're trying to bring healing and help. So the fact that God is love, that everything we do is birthed out of this, that God is love, I want you all to see this. Because every religion will tell you that in order to have a loving relationship with God, that you got to be good, and then you got to love God, and then once you're done being kind of good enough, then God can now reciprocate and start loving you. But that's opposite of what the Gospels preach, and that's opposite of what the Scriptures teach, because Christianity teaches that God always initiates Because God is love, he always initiates love. He always initiates love. Always initiates love. It is overwhelming in Scripture. I mean, there are 66 books in here, 44 authors, 1,600 years. Many of them never knew each other. And the overwhelming, overarching theme of Scripture is that God lovingly pursues man. From Genesis to Revelation, God is going after man. He is constantly going after them. Let's, let's just take a look. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk you through. Adam and Eve in the garden, hanging out with God, chilling out. Greatest thing ever. God says, don't eat the fruit. They eat the fruit. As soon as they eat fruit, guilt, shame, everything comes on them. What do they do? Their, nat- their, their natural tendency is to what? Now that shame's here, they what? They hide. They hide. Isn't that what we do too? Sin still does the same thing. We hide. And then the second thing they do is what? They cover themselves with prickly things. Okay? And the Bible says in the next couple of verses that God what? What does he do? God walks into the garden and he says, not Eve, Adam. Adam. Where are you, Adam? Now, notice he didn't, God didn't sit back and go, they blew it. When they get their act together and they come and they come crawling back, then, okay, then we'll be, we'll be good. No. God pursues them in their own sinfulness, and he comes after them and he says, what have you done? And then, of course, they start doing the blame game. That woman, that crazy woman you gave me. There was only one woman at that time. She couldn't blame on anything else, you know. So she was like, oh, that snake, that snake. And, and so God says, no, no, no. You're going to have to leave. But here's, I'm going to do two things for you. I'm going to promise that there will come a redeemer one day, and he will make this right. And then secondly, I'm going to clothe you, and I'm going to cover your shame and your guilt. And so that's what love does. We see it from the very beginning of Genesis. The prodigal sons, 
story of the prodigal son who goes to his father and says, give me all the stuff. Give me all of my stuff that I'm supposed to get. And the father goes, okay, you can have it. He goes and he lives this licentious lifestyle and he lives it up and parties it up. And I mean, he was probably on LSU campus. I mean, he was just living it up, spending all of his money, doing all that he wanted to do. And he finds himself in the pig trough and he Bible says he comes to himself and he realizes my dad's servants have it better than me. And as he's pinning the words and going back to the father to, to tell him his story and, and pretty much to beg for forgiveness, the Bible says that the father is standing on the porch, constantly looking out for his son. And when he sees his son, what does he do? He runs. He runs after him. And he doesn't even wait for the son to give him the speech. He just hugs him, throws a robe on him, puts a ring on him, puts some shoes on him, and he says, let's have a party. Let's have a party. Come on, the best steak's in the house. And so they go and they throw a party, and the older son, who's never disobeyed his, which I can relate to, perfect son, tried to do everything that's right, rule abider, did all that, comes back and says, what is going on? And he goes, the servant comes out and says, your dad's throwing a party. Your, your brother's back. And he's like, he's back? What do you mean he's back? He was once lost, but he's now found. And now your dad is throwing the biggest party ever. I mean, you hear that music? I mean, they're dancing. It's bumping in there. Come on. It's like, and so what does he do? He sits on the porch. He says, I ain't going in there. And what happens? Does anybody know what happens? The father comes out again. To the older son now, who's been a rule abider, and says, and he invites him in. He invites him in. The tax collector and sinners. Bible says that Jesus was always pursuing them, healing them, forgiving them. The woman with that was caught in the middle of adultery gets thrown at Jesus' feet. Jesus forgives her, tells her to walk off. The disciples, the disciples weren't looking for Jesus. Jesus was walking along the shore, and he says, you, you're mine. Come, follow me. They drop everything. You, you're mine. Come, follow me. Goes up to Levi. He was a tax collector. Levi was, by all means, not the type of person that should be following Jesus at all. And he looks at him. He says, hey, stop what you're doing. Come follow me. Puts it all down, and he follows him. Why do they do all that? We're actually going to start a series next week called Show Me Your Glory. It's going to be an incredible series. We're going to talk a lot more about this. But one of the things that I've been studying is what does it make these guys? How do these guys just hear one word? Drop what you're doing. Follow me. What causes them just to drop everything and follow Christ? You know why? They saw Jesus. They saw Jesus in a way they've never seen him before. I'm sure they've heard of him, but they saw who Jesus was, and they felt the love that he had for them. And when they felt that, we understand that they're willing to do everything. Saul did the same thing. So the first thing is that God is love. The second one is this. Jesus loves you. I think a lot of us understand that God is love. He has to love. I mean, he's God. He's got to do that. Now, does he have to love me? I don't know about that. But he does. Jesus loves you. First John, go to verse 9 now. Let's see what it says. It says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love. In what is love? Everything that you just read in verse 9, that's love. That God sent his Son for you. That is love. And it says this, not that we have loved God, but what has he done? Come on, say it louder. He's what? He's loved us. He has loved us. 
and he has sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. John 3, 16, what does it say? For the world so loved God. What does it say? For God so loved the world. I just want you to understand this. His love for you existed before you. His love existed before you, before you had a past to ask forgiveness for. Do you know that Jesus died for your sins before you committed the sins? So were your sins past, present, or future? It's not a trick question. It was future sins, actually, because you weren't even born yet. I can see for all the Old Testament people, Jesus dying for all their sins. They got all those past sins. But you weren't even created yet to have a past. So that means when, when Christ died on the cross for your sins because he loved you so much, all your sins were future sins, which is good because most of us think when we give our lives to the Lord, God forgives us of all of our past stuff. But to be honest, most of you probably are working through what he forgives you right now, what you're dealing with right now. But I want you to see that he died over 2,000 years ago, and all your sins at that point were future sins. So that means he's still forgiving and still loving you even in your sin even now. Now, it doesn't mean he keeps you in your sin or he's pleased with that, but he wants to change that. He wants to empower you. He wants to help you. But Jesus still loves you. He didn't ask for, for your permission for him to send Jesus. He sent him anyway. Romans 5.8. Let's, let's look at Romans 5.8. I'm just walking you through scripture. I just, it's how I preach. I want the word to do what it does. It says, but God shows his love. How does he show his love for you? He shows his love for you that while you were still sinners, he died for you. Not when you had it all together. He loved you when you were unlovable. So that means right now, even in the midst of whatever's going on, he loves you. Whether you're at the peak of your relationship with the Lord or you feel like you're in the valley of everything, he absolutely loves you. His love for you has never changed no matter if you're doing fasting for 21 days or you're smoking whatever for 21 days. His love for you has never changed. You can't do something to make God love you more, and there's nothing you can do to make God love you any less. He loves you. Come on, look at the person next to you. He loves you. Come on. He loves you. But I, as a guy who's been raised in church, um, I'll, I'll be honest, the greatest struggle that I have is not the fact that I don't know that Jesus loves me. I understand that. My fact is how much I love God. And when I focus on how much I love, love God, can I be honest what I focus on the most? I focus on my flaws, my imperfections, and all of my deficiencies. God, I should be doing this for you. God, I should be this. And God, you saw me mess up and do this. And God, I did this. And God, I want to love you with all my heart and soul and strength. Who in the world loves God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength? Show them to me. I mean, we are all working through this. That's our desire. But, man, we are still working through things. We blow it with our marriage. We blow it in parenting. We blow it at our jobs. And we come back to this place like, God, man, I just want to love you. I want to love you more. And, and I'll, I'll be honest with you. When we focus on our flaws, imperfections, and deficiencies, we reduce what Christ has already done for us. So the way that we love Jesus more is not focusing on where we are short. We focus on what he has done. Y'all with me? Hopefully that didn't sell over your heads. Is that every time I blow it, 
I don't come and go, oh, God, I just blew it. I did this. I go, God, you have loved me. You are still loving me now. And you know what that does? That forces me to go, God, I'm sorry. I don't want to honor you. I want to love my wife well. I want to be a good employee. God, I want to thank you for continually lavishing your grace and your love on me constantly. That the Bible says that there is no height nor depth that can separate us from what? Separated from what? The love of God. Nothing you can do can separate you from the love of God. But I'm telling you, we categorize things and we think like, okay, this little thing is not so bad. But this thing, that's separation. That separates us from God's love. That's, that's too much. That's not the case. No height, no depth. I want you to see this. Um, go to that, hold your finger there and go to John 11, what we read about in just a minute. Uh, what we read at the, at the very beginning, and then I'm going to wrap this up. John 11 is the story, like we said, of Lazarus dying. And his sisters are writing on his behalf. And I just find it so appealing at how they entice Jesus to come quickly. Do you notice that? They don't, they don't appeal to Jesus based off of Lazarus' love for Jesus. If I was writing this, this is how it would go. Like if I need some help or whatever. Okay, let's, let's take for, I am terrible with cars. I'm terrible with just stuff around the house at times. I'm learning more. Jamie used to always come over to my house and do stuff for me. We would trade services. I would fix his computers and he would fix my house. That's how it would work. So if I needed Jamie to do something for me, this is how usually it go. If we have something like he actually, we, we need to sit down and talk. The other, uh, we still need to uh, about some things. And he said, I'll cook for you, man. Uh, we'll, we'll cook. We'll do something. I'm like, great. So his wife would cook for me, and then I would come over and do things. And then I, I think I still got the better end of the deal. We didn't do as much for him as he did for us. So he, but I would say, Jamie, man, God, man I need you. You know I love you, man. You know, I, you're awesome. You're so great. You're, you're like one of the best craftsmen that I know of. I need you to come. I mean, like, you know, throwing it on. Like, I need you. Like, I've always been there for you. Like, don't, if your computer crashes, don't call me. Uh, you know, <laughs> just kind of laying it out there. I didn't have to do as much. But that's a lot of times when we're trying to get somebody to do something for us, we remind them of all the things we've done for them. Like, you remember, I cooked that dinner for you, and you remember who washes your clothes, and you remember who. Okay, so put yourself in, in, in Mary and Martha's shoes. They're trying to appeal to Jesus to come. And they could be like, Jesus, this is one of your favorites. Like, he loves you so much. Lazarus has always been there for you. Every crusade you've done, he's been right there in the front row. Like, we followed you. I've put so many miles on these Pumas following you. I've been walking all over the place. I mean, we really love you. Nobody loves you like we loved you. You came over to our house. We fed you dinner all the time. They didn't do that, did they? What did they do? They appeal to Jesus not based off of Lazarus' love for Jesus, but based off of Jesus' love for Lazarus. They say, Lord, the one whom you love is ill. Period. Sinned. That should be enough. God, you love this man so much. I know you will be here. Now, we know the story. Does he show up when they want him? No, they let him die, right? 
But we understand that God's timing is not our timing. But we also understand that God got greater glory in his death and his resurrection than he would if he would have came and just healed them. And so I just want you to know this. First off, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus understood this. Jesus loved them. They knew that God was love, but they knew that Jesus loved them. So despite anything that went on, yes, they got frustrated. Why didn't you show up? Don't we all, when God doesn't show up when we want him to? Where were you? Like, I prayed for a long time, and I fasted, and I did all the stuff, and I was tithing, and I was doing these, and you just, and I lost my job, and I lost. And a lot of times, we don't realize the bigger scheme of things, that God's doing more things than we see right now. I mean, you've looked down the road, and you look back and go, wow, thank God I didn't get what I prayed for. He showed up so much bigger. It's because he loves you. He loves you. So what is the focus of the gospel? Let's do multiple choice here. Is it A, man loving God, or is it B, God loving man? B, good, we're passing. All right. So the focus of the gospel is that God loves you. So when you are talking to people about Jesus, and they're like, man, but I'm all jacked up, and dude, I'm all, here's the greatest news of all. This church is filled with jacked up people. We're all hypocrites. Come on in. We need you, man. Because our worth and our love does not come from what we do for him, but what he's done for us. He initiated the love. Your faithfulness to this church, to serve in this church, to lo- is hopefully not to show God how much you love him, but is out, an over- out of an overwhelming heart of how much God's loved you. If you're serving here because you think by serving here, you're making God proud of you, anything you can do, Jesus can do better. He's not impressed with you. He's not impressed with anything that you do. You do 40 days of no food? There's nothing, there's no good deeds that you do. And Jesus is like, oh my goodness, did you see that? (laughs) Holy Spirit, dude, look. It doesn't happen. The only only person that the Father's impressed with is Jesus. But the Bible says that when we give our hearts to the Lord and we submit to him, we are in Christ. So when the Father sees us, who does he see? He sees Jesus. Which goes to point number three, and I'm wrapping it up, is this. Jesus' love created your love. Let me put it another way. We'll go to 1 John. Go back to 1 John. Loved people love. I'll say that again. Loved people love. 1 John 4.11 says this. Beloved, if God so loved us. Okay, hopefully I have gotten the point across to you that God loves you. If I have not, you have, you've been asleep. It says this, beloved, if God so loved us, what is now the proper response? We also ought to what? Love one another. And then watch this. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. John, uh, don't turn there, but we do have it on the screen. And if you're taking notes, you can write this down. John 13, 34 through 35 says it a little bit differently, but it's pretty much saying the exact same thing. Y'all got that? 
a new command I give to you, that you love one another just as what? Okay, thank you. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this, all people, what are they going to know? By this, all people will know that you are my what? They're going to know that you're my disciples by how you serve them. No, they're going to know that you are my disciples if you love what? One another. Means this, that when new people, if you're a guest here, hopefully you see this. There's something that we are so passionate about here, and that's spiritual family. You hear us talk about it all the time. Spiritual family, spiritual family. Because we believe that whenever we all come from all different backgrounds, all different ages, all different races, but when we come and we unite under Christ, we become one family. All different families becoming one family, and we become a diverse group of people that are united around Christ, that love Jesus, and out of Jesus' love for us, love one another. So when we see people hurting, we see people failing, we see people falling, you know what we do? We get in the middle of it, we get dirty with them, and we pick them up and we say, come on, let's go. We outdo one another in showing honor. We love one another. We bear one another's burdens. You know why? Because Christ has bared your burdens. And Christ went in and got in the thick of all your nasty mess just as much as mine, and he pulled me out. And so that's what we do for one another. We help each other. We love one another. We pull on each other. We encourage one another because Jesus' love creates our love. Now, I'm going to tell you this. If you try to love people outside of Jesus' love for you, you will burn out. I'm just trying to love people. And if you think, I'm going to just tell you, if you walk away from this message and you think that the point of this sermon is that you need to be loving, you have missed it. The point of this message is not that you need to be loving. The point of this message is that you need to realize how much God has loved you. And in that, realize that your proper response to God's love for you is for you to love your spouse, your kids, your whatever. And here's the big clincher. You love them when they're the least lovable. You know why? Say it again, because what? Because Jesus did that to you. So you know why we can be the greatest employees our businesses have ever seen? Is because when everybody else is trying to rip off the boss and everybody else is so fed up with all those people that talk behind our back, we love those people. We reach out to them. We speak life into them. We are the direct opposite of what this world is. This world says that if you want me to love you, you better be lovable. And we say, no, we don't, we don't, we don't need that. Because you know what? I don't need your love. I got enough love as it is. I have the love that I need the most, which is his love. And because of that, I can be rejected by anybody and be okay. You can offend me and I'll be all right because I don't need your love. I love my wife more passionately than anybody else in this room. She loves me. But if she does something to me, that's okay because I don't have to have her love. Do I want her love? You better believe it. Do I want her with me? You better believe it. But listen, I get my love and my worth from Jesus. And she does the same, and that's what I love the most about her. She doesn't have to have it from me. So if I fail her, no, 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 take that back, scratch it. When I fail her, she's not distraught. And for every teenage and college-age girl that's in here, listen, you better understand how much God loves you before you try to find that in a man because they will fail you every single time. 
They will drop you. Things will happen, and you will be crushed. And so the Bible says in Galatians chapter 5 that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. But notice how it starts with love. It's love because our motivation to serve people is based out of what? Love. It's the ground. This church is here for five years being faithful because people love God. But we love God because we realize how much God has loved us. And we want to be a a light on a hill in this city that says all are welcome. We're going to love you like Jesus loved you. We're going to love you like Jesus loved you. You're filthy? Great. Come on. That's all right. Because it's not our responsibility to clean you up. Jesus does that. It's amazing that when you fall in love with Jesus, that he just starts dealing with all that stuff. And I, I just, I'll say this in wrapping. The reason people, like Jamie said at the very beginning, he says, I don't, I don't have a problem giving. Do you know why that is? It's scriptural. Do you know why people have a hard time giving money or giving love or giving anything? Do you know why that is? Because the Bible says this, he who freely receives, freely what? Freely gives. So any people that have a giving love problem, giving money problem, giving time problem, giving any of that, is not because they have a giving problem, they have a receiving problem. When you receive the unmerited favor and grace of the Lord, guess what you want to do? You want to give the unmerited favor and grace of the Lord. When you receive incredible resources and blessings from the Lord, guess what you want to do? You want to give incredible resources and blessings to every person that you can find because you've received from him, you want to give. And so my prayer today, listen, my prayer today is not that you would love Jesus. My prayer today is that you would realize how much Jesus loves you because you loving Jesus He'll deal with that as, he, as you receive his love. Y'all with me? Can I get an amen on that? Amen. Amen. Father, we love you. But God, even now as we talk through this, we, we realize that the fact that we love you is only because you first loved us. That's where it began. It began with the fact that you loved us. And I just want to speak directly to some of you today that... I, I, that are walking in a pattern of unholiness, that are walking in a pattern of sin. And maybe it's just in your own personal life. Maybe it's gone off into your marriage or into your parenting or into your workplace. The thing about sin is that it, it breaks everything. It dirties the waters. And I just want you to know that if you're in sin right now, we love you. Jesus loves you. We want to help you. We want to help you walk away from sin. We want to help you walk towards Jesus. And I I just want you to hear me as I say this. Jesus' words to you are to come, to come. Come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. So for those that are here today and you say, you know, Pastor Josh, I've just been, I, I don't feel worthy. Even when I walked in this room, it's just hard for me to worship. It's hard for me to to enter in. It's hard for me even to connect with people because there's just this barrier. That's what that is. It can be pride. 
It can be some crazy living. It could be even self-righteousness. You just think you're better than other people. It could be, and you today just needed to hear that God loves you. His love for you has never failed. His love for you has never ceased. He is loving you right now, and he's loving you to the place where he wants you to meet his son, Jesus. Because through Jesus and the power of his Holy Spirit, he will clean you up. He'll forgive you. He'll empower you. And if that's you right now, I, I just want you just all across this room, just raise your hand. Pastor Josh, that's me. I just need a vent. Come on. Awesome, 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 awesome. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Come on. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Praise God, praise God. Come on, that's our, that's our compelling factor today is we want you to come as you are, meet Jesus, and change forever. Meet Jesus and change forever. Jesus, I pray right now over every single person in this room, our greatest desire as a church, first and foremost, is that they would connect to Christ, that they see with Jesus for all that he is. I pray right now, Lord, that you would help them to see your love as we look to the cross. God, as we look to what you have done on that cross when we were sinners, Lord, not only have you defeated sin, but you have broken the curse off of our lives. And when we walk in wholeness because of Jesus, we can walk in freedom. We thank you that you give us the power. And Father, I pray for those today that have felt so far from you. I pray, God, that they heard you today say, I'm right here. I'm here. I'm calling your name, calling you forth. I love you. Jesus, we thank you for what you've done. Lord, I pray that these next five years in this church would be the greatest years this church has ever seen. Lord, we pray that you would bring in the harvest of people and that you would send out this church to go and to see people as you see them, to love people as you love them, to be the hands and feet of Jesus through the power of your Holy Spirit. May we see people reached and lives be changed because of your incredible gospel. In Jesus' name. And everyone said.